and welcome to Red Couch Manx. I'm Vivek Jacob, joined by Carl Mascarenas, and today we are breaking down Manchester United's nil-nil draw with Arsenal. An exciting game, considering it was nil-nil, and we also have a special guest with us today. You will probably recognize his voice from the Open Era podcast and a football podcast. It's Devang Desai. Devang, how are you doing? I'm doing well. V, how are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. I don't think it's the result that either of us wanted, <laughs> uh, or Carl. Carl, I, do, I know you're feeling pretty heated about this result, uh, especially on the back of the loss to Sheffield United. So I'll, I'll let you riff off the top here. Yeah, I'm really frustrated, Vivek. I was expecting three points today, just based off the result from Sheffield United, like you mentioned, and also the fact that Man City managed to to beat Sheffield United opening up that gap a little bit between us. If we want to be realistic title contenders, we've got to win games like this where, yes, it was pretty even. We shaded the first half. Arsenal shaded the second half. But on the balance of play and actual chances, I felt like we needed to be a little bit more clinical. I'm so sick and tired of these nil-nil draws. It's the fourth time that I can remember where we've tied a team nil-nil in the top six, you had Chelsea, you had Liverpool, you had City, and now you have Arsenal. I feel like us saying that we're title contenders, you know, other fans from other teams, even Devang, might be laughing at us, <laughs> wondering how can we be title contenders if we can't beat anybody in the in the top six? And so that <laughs> that that's why I'm frustrated, to be honest with you. And so uh, I would love to hear actually a a, a neutral's opinion, uh, who's not a United fan if United are realistically title challengers or not, Devang? I don't think so. And and it's not to be uh, a super hater on Manchester United. I think the run that you guys are on is pretty damn impressive. But this result is the Sheffield United result. I think even Man City uh, against Sheffield, where Sheffield played pretty well. I think Sheffield had a few chances, but overall they they did what they needed to do. And I think depth-wise, that's important for Man City. They can do that, even missing KDB. And I don't think Manchester United is there yet. Even when you guys have played them head-to-head, it doesn't seem like you're there there yet. Um, but you're an op- opportunistic side, I'll say that. And you give you give Manchester United an inch these days and they'll take it. I think the key is just not giving it to them. Defensively, I think Arsenal had an idea of what they wanted to do. They wanted to, to bring their wingers down and, and kind of just shut down the, the lower block and kind of make it as difficult as possible to whip balls in for Cavani. And I think that the game plan worked. So I think I agree, Carl, that I don't consider Manchester United title contenders. That being said, this year is already messed up. Like to predict who's going to win this year, I think might be the toughest we've had in some time, even though it does look like Man City is, is probably going to do it. I completely agree with everything you said. To your point regarding this season, if Leicester win their game, they now go to second. They overtake us. So, uh, Vivek, I, I haven't heard your perspective, so I'll let you uh, have a go. I think to be considered a title contender, you have to be able to perform against the top six, and United haven't done that. Their only win that I can think of was when they defeated Everton 3-1, and that was a long time ago. So outside of that, they really haven't impressed. But at the same time, when you look at the points tally at the end of the day no one's going to remember who dropped points to whom if united are right there that means they're they've pretty much dropped the same amount of points as everyone else so everyone's dropping points to someone 
who, who, who that's coming to. I don't know how much that matters in this particular season where everything is so out of whack. Arsenal Devang have been on the come up coming into this match. They had picked up 16 out of 18. And it seems like that match against Chelsea really turned things around where they picked up that 3-1 win after a long, prolonged stumble. Uh, what have you noticed uh, have been some of the improvements? Actually, before we even do that, for the listeners who are so used to hearing you on the Open Era podcast mm-hmm. and your tennis perspectives, how did you even become an Arsenal fan? Video games was a big thing. Like when in like the late 90s, early 2000s, I, I played soccer a lot like recreationally, but I also began to play PlayStation and FIFA. And I think 99 Dennis Bergkamp was on the cover. And <laughs> when you selected sides, like Arsenal's right at the top as well. So me being a, a youth and impatient, I usually am selecting the best team and the closest to the, the team select mode. And Arsenal was there. It helped that they were really good then too as well. So like as I started really getting into it, it was it was the golden era of, of Thierry Henry, Patrick Vieira, Robert Pires. Like it was it was awesome, right? And it's funny, like as I got older, it got way more accessible to watch soccer here. Um, but back then it was like a game a week maximum. And even then, like you were getting scores in the newspaper box score, right? Like the, the last page. So it's just a totally different animal um, now to then. But I, I will say it was video games was a huge help of getting into, into Arsenal as well. Because then I learned all the players as well. It's like it's, it's it kind of helped in that way as well. I remember FIFA 99. The first thing I, I always had to do was change uh, like Brazil Ronaldo's name. Because I don't know if it was like a rights thing. Where- <laughs> yeah, yeah. For sure, they had like some weird name for him, where it was like one of his middle names. So yeah, I can definitely remember the cover that you're talking about with Burkamp, and I always had a soft spot for Arsenal because of Burkamp and Mark Overmars, and mm-hmm. me being a huge Dutch fan. A long way from those heydays, right. and you know those clashes between Henri Van Nistelrooy, Vieira, Roy Keane. But yeah, coming back to this match now, what have you made of Arsenal? again, over those these last six, seven games. And do you see them again as one of the top six, maybe top four teams in the EPL? So, so I think Mikel Arteta like, is a pragmatist in a, in a certain sense that he saw the writing on the wall. Like before that Chelsea game, it was super bleak. I think many, many expected him to be sacked or, or the club to move mm-hmm. on after that Chelsea game. Like if they don't win, I, I question what happens. But... He went to the kids. He went to Emil Smith-Rowe and Bukayo Saka, who was already playing. But I think the idea is to get him involved more um, wherever they needed him. Because I think the, the thing that we've seen from him is he can play anywhere. And he's just that talented, right? So I think a bit is luck. A bit is, I think, Arteta as well, sticking to his ethos, his football ethos, and the way he wants to play. And Kieran Tierney emerging as a, as a force at left back, I think, all coincided to to save things because Chelsea was playing super well coming to that match. I think they were on a run in the, the halcyon days of Frank Lampard still being a manager. They were looking good. So I, I think it was a shock result and then a pretty favorable fixture list after that. So they, they did what they've had to do um, to get back in the conversation. Cause even though it was, it looked super bleak um, last year in November and December, they were never that bad. But I think you guys know, like once you get in the bad run, it snowballs like crazy and, and weird stuff happens and, and it all goes downhill. Whereas now, um, they've been a bit fortunate. Now you have injuries though. So I, I, I'm not sure about top four. I, I think top six is dual. I'm, I'm curious to see how the injuries kind of work out this week. And even if 
they get everyone back. I think there's so many clubs up top and, and every match is pretty much a lottery ball that I, I'm not super confident in that, but the team is much better off now than I think they were before Mikel Arteta came aboard. And to me, that is a positive at this point. Dewan, you made a really good point with, uh, you know, saying that Kieran Tierney is was out today. Part of my frustration was that, according to me, Arsenal were missing at least three first-team players. Yeah, They were missing Tierney, they were missing Aubameyang, and they were missing Saka. This isn't the first time United is playing against a weakened top side. We played against a Liverpool team that didn't have a centre-back, and we <laughs> tied that game 0-0. So... These are some of the reasons why I was so frustrated. I, I was very impressed with the way Arsenal played. I will say I was expecting right off the bat United to come in hot in the first 10 minutes and really show that intensity. But if anything, Arsenal started the much better team and were on the front foot. And then they kind of faded. And that's when United really came into it. With the, the way the teams were set up, they played the same formation, which was a 4-2-3-1. And I had this tagged as the battle of the defensive midfielders. Vivek, do you think that Arsenal won that battle or United won that battle? No, I think Arsenal won that battle pretty convincingly. Uh, Scott McTominay could barely stand. What happened to him, <laughs> by the way? He looked like he was in horrible pain. That I... Yeah, it's. I, I feel like he was trying to play through some kind of stomach bug. Yeah, that that's that's the only the thing that I could guess from just seeing him on the pitch and the way he was reacting. But I don't think there was any official word, Carl. I don't know if you caught anything. No, nothing yet. Yeah. So with Scott looking the way he was, Fred, I felt like anytime an Arsenal midfield player made any kind of feint. And faked one way and went the other. Fred was just left in his dust. Uh, so uh, that that was a bit troubling to see. And I think that's part of why when Scott needed to come off, as United continued to press in the latter stages of that first half, Solskjaer was like, oh, you know, I don't need another defensive midfielder with the way these guys are doing. I can just put Pogba back as opposed to putting on a Matic. And so... Uh, I think at that point, it was like, hey, let's just see if we can get a goal here. And that's why he went more attack-minded with Marshall. To Marshall's credit, I will say, I know I've had a go at him the last few podcasts, but I will say since he came on, there were some positive signs. I thought he played better. It's an extremely low bar, but I thought he had some nice one-twos in the box. He almost teed up Cavani that one time. Little improvements from him. But yeah, overall, the defensive midfield battle... Partey, he's shown in the first match that United played against Arsenal. I thought he was great again. Martinelli was really impactful as well. I, w- I would definitely hand that battle to Arsenal. I don't know about you, Devon. I, I honestly, I thought Partey was a bit off today. Like he was a bit loose with the ball. Um, even in those those decisions where he's usually finding the right guy, he was a bit slow today. So I, I thought the midfield battle, I love what, what United did with that sub. Because if they went with Matic, maybe the game slows down even more. But it showed that I think that you guys probably thought you could win it and you could. So I, I think that was a good decision for me. It's it, granted. Jaka just plays far better when Thomas Partey is with him. It makes sense. Like Thomas Partey is far better than anyone he's ever played with at Arsenal full stop. So I think Jaka's game kind of expands and I thought he wasn't bad. I thought he was quite good today in terms of making smart decisions. So in that, that battle, I think like Carl Selleck, that to me was huge because just getting the ball out to, the, the skilled players getting the ball out to Emil Smith-Rowe. We were able to do that a couple times um, and, and 
try and catch Manchester United on the break, and it resulted in some great chances. I thought Nicola Pepe was was very good again. I thought, like I said with William, the work rate was fantastic, and when he got into situations on goal, you kind of liked his chances 1v1. So I, overall, the midfield battle was as tight as I expected, but I, I did think uh, Bruno was a bit more anonymous than I thought he would be. I thought the attacking talent, especially after Cedric got that yellow card, for me, it just go at Cedric every single time you have possession. And, and Manchester United didn't do that as much as I thought they would. I completely agree with you. Quick question for, for you, Devang. I'll get the Arsenal perspective and then I'll get the United perspective from Vivek. I was speaking to a couple of Arsenal fans during the game and they were a little hot under the collar with Bruno's challenge on Chaka where he basically <laughs> stepped on well, the back with his foot. My issue is that Cedric got a, a yellow for an elbow. Don't get me wrong. It was a bit high. No issue with that. But literally, they went to VAR as well. So whoever Michael Oliver was talking to, I don't know, was was watching a different clip or saw something else. But I, I did think it was cardworthy. I don't think it was part of a conspiracy though, which I, I know is... is level that you guys quite often that, that the fix is in but i i thought it would overall i didn't mind michael oliver's referring i think he was a bit soft he gave some fouls he shouldn't have but i, I didn't mind it overall yeah i thought it was a yellow especially to devon's point once uh, suarez gets the yellow i think that it's fair enough to give bruno a yellow to me it was clearly a retaliation from he was the previous foul. he was in it yeah he was he was into it <laughs> this match yeah. i like i appreciated that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he was he was seeing the the red mist for a couple of minutes there. Yeah, yeah, and I I, I can see from Bruno's perspective that part of why he's really going at it is because to this point in the big games he just has that free kick against Liverpool to show for it, right? And we talk about these zero zero draws that United have had in the big games, the lack of performance. It's where your best players are supposed to step up to the challenge, and outside of the Bruno free kick against Liverpool in that FA Cup match, it hasn't really been there. So again, not a big performance from him by any stretch of the imagination. I think it's fair to say he should be better. And I think it's fair to say that Cavani should have been better as well. Everyone is uh, being judged on the expectations that they've set. So in some ways, they're a victim of (laughs) the high levels that they've performed at. Cavani, with the way he's been scoring half chances this season, you expect him to do better with the chances he had in this one. I'm just looking back and there was definitely the one that he had in the 89th minute where it just went wide. Again, a half chance, the ball's behind him, but we've we've seen him score those. He uh, took it off Martial's foot. That's the one you're talking about, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't blame him for taking it off Martial's foot because there's no way he could have known Martial was there. Like, oh, I thought you were like, saying that because you knew Marcel would hit it over the bar or something. <laughs> they definitely <laughs> both shouldn't have been there. I think there was a spacing problem in that, in that yeah. sequence. So, yeah, there, there was the one he had there. There was the one where Shaw plays the ball across. Uh, so definitely some chances that Cavani wasted. Now, we discussed the defensive midfield battle. One thing I really want to touch on is how threatening Pepe looked on that right side and going at Luke Shaw, it was step over after step over after <laughs> step over after step over. Did you guys have uh, early flashbacks to Ronaldo when he was a youngster, <laughs> yeah. right? Just egregious yeah. and an audacious amount of step overs. <laughs> uh, Devon, what have you made of his performances on the season? And why do you think he presented such a threat to United's 
left and center side. It's, it's such a confounding guy because I think uh, if you could bottle this performance and get it out of Nikola Pepe every every game, transfer fee doesn't matter. Everyone loves what he's bringing. I think the effort level has been questioned some. I, I also think the adjustment period, like it's it's the money is one thing, but I think the step he's taking from France to here and the expectations, that's enough to to challenge anyone. I don't care who you are, even if you're a top athlete. So I didn't think mm-hmm. Nicola Pepe was bad last year either. I just think we, the, sorry, the club and, and the, the expectations from the people who brought him over were a bit out of whack, right? And then those people are gone now. Like Raul Salani is gone. Like the, the people who orchestrated that transfer are no longer in the picture. So wait, really it's about, I think Nicola Pepe proving proving himself that he, he is worth something and, and can play in this league. And the past few games, I think he has. Like since that idiotic red card he got last year, maybe this, there's something that went down um, personally for him where he, he kind of checked himself. Because since then, he's worked hard. And I think he's also fallen direction from Mikel Arteta. And that comes with the pressing as well. Because I think the pressing against Southampton was what changed the game. And I think the pressing in the second half against Manchester United changed the game. And that was led by Nicola Pepe. So if he's on his his, his workhorse like that, and he's, he's battling that hard to win 50-50 balls, it's a huge plus because you were not getting that before. I thought he had the winner as well. I, that one that maybe was an inch wide. Yeah. Peter Jury thought that was in as well. But that's the kind of thing you can get as well because I don't think the defender was expecting him to shoot when he did, right? It's that little slight, that little feint. He's got the the tools in his bag, but he's not a super old player either, right? So I, I'm not willing to write him off. I do think like our expectations have to change a bit. And, and obviously in, in football, we know like a transfer fees associated with you and that it's hard to shake off. Now, speaking of influential players, Bruno Fernandes is very influential for, for United. Vivek, I've seen a trend, and it's a little worrying for me, but when Bruno's off his game, it looks like United can't create any chances, and they've fallen back into that rhythm before Bruno came to the club where we just couldn't break down a team that sat back. Is that something that you're seeing as well, and are you worried? No, actually, I would counter that argument because I feel like United had several chances today. And I, I remember going back to the Liverpool match in the FA Cup where Bruno wasn't announced in the starting lineup. And that's where I'm thinking, okay, what are United going to do in the final third? And they looked great on the attacking front. So this match, I think the ball goes in, we're looking at it completely differently. If Cavani takes the chances that he's accustomed to, if Rashford is a bit more decisive in that final third, we're looking at it a bit differently. The one thing I will say, there was that Rashford chance where everyone was expecting him to shoot. And I feel like if he has a left foot, he's just hitting that first time or even just setting it up for his left. But because he has to take it onto his right, that's where the delay comes in. And I feel at that point, he actually made the right decision because 100% that shot was getting blocked. If he has a left foot, I think he's able to get a shot off in time. But once he has to put it onto the right, there's no chance. And then, obviously, later, there's the Bruno free kick uh, that follows it up. Do you think Bruno should get a rest? I think so. I I think there will be an opportunity coming into this Southampton match where maybe, you know, if you need him in the second half, you use him. You know, we also have to see whether he's more than a flat track bully. And so, uh, I think if he can step up in these big games, let's face it, again, Going back to the biggest moments moment he's had in a big match, that was a free kick. It was a set piece. It was a dead ball situation. It wasn't something where he created something out of nothing. 
So when we're talking about United creating big chances against the big teams, it's not like he's been doing it either. Uh, I don't see this, you know, Bruno being the exception that when he's there, things are happening for United and when he's not there, it's not. With the form that Pogba is in, I would like to see him trusted in that number 10 role, maybe give Bruno a bit of a break. So speaking of some benching, who do you think should get the Beckham boot for United? <laughs> Devong, if you had to pick a, the worst United player, who would you go with? Who? Trying to think who stood out poorly. I don't think anyone was super bad. The Cavani misses were a bit clear. I mean, the first chance, he found the one spot that wasn't the net. Like physically, po- I didn't think it was physically possible to not hit the net there, but he did. That's a tough challenge. And Cedric, Cedric got in there, so it wasn't a completely clean um, opportunity. I, I think I will go with Bruno Fernandez, though. And not to pile on and be like, well, he's is he as good as he really seems? Or all the hype is that legit? I think he's an awesome player, but... I think he's being played too much. I think to, to touch on what you guys are saying, like just as an outsider, I watch a lot of Manchester United games. It doesn't really seem like there is a plan B. I know this is something you guys have talked about. Like it kind of seems like there's one way to go forward. And also if we're talking about title contenders, that, that isn't going to work either, right? Like I think if we're using Man City as the example, they have other ways. They have so many ways. Um, so I'll, mm-hmm. I think I, I'll think I'll go with a Cavani-Fernandez mix because I think Bruno in games like this, he should be the difference because I think he's technically the best player on the field. Yeah, I'm kind of on the same page. I thought, you know, the one thing I will say is Cavani, once again, those runs that he makes, especially in the first half, like he was just not being found at all. Like if we're criticizing Fred and Scott, that is one thing where he's making these runs and no one's even spotting it, let alone like trying a ball and failing. That is the one thing where I think... Cavani has every right to be frustrated and we have every right to be frustrated with the opportunities he had. But the number of big games that Bruno has kind of been absent now, at this point, I think it's fair enough to give him a Beckham boot. I'll disagree with you guys. I don't think Bruno deserves the boot because there was a play that was worse than him and that was Marcus (laughs) Rashford. Uh, (laughs) I thought he was poor. And you know what? To your point, Vivek, about you know, Cavani making runs, I will actually give that to you. It looked like United were allergic to crossing the ball in the first half. Just nobody wanted to cross the ball into the box. And clearly something was said at halftime because then Aaron Wan-Bissaka started crossing it like I've never seen him cross before. I mean, that chance that came about in the 89th minute was from an Aaron Wan-Bissaka cross. Like, <laughs> let me repeat myself. Aaron Wan-Bissaka cross. Right? So... Uh, but anyways, I got a little off topic. Rashford is the Beckham boot for me because I thought he started off the game poorly. He, he tends to do this sometimes. I didn't think he had intensity. And then when he did have the ball, it looked like he didn't know what to do with it. Sometimes when there was a run, when he was running with it, there was an opportunity where Cavani was making a run on the far post. This was in the first half, around about, I would say, between the 20th and 30th minute. Bruno was to his right. Rashford held on to the ball too long. He finally gave it to Bruno who tried to give it back to Rashford, but it didn't work. In that mm-hmm. situation, you know what? Rashford, take the shot. Now, later in the game, Rashford was in a position where he was on the right wing, and he decided to take a shot from there where he hit the side netting. Once again, poor decision. I don't think it was the right call. He should have been crossing it into Cavani. So for the the level of play that he's demonstrated this season, and for what we saw in today's game, and holding him to those expectations like you were talking about, Vivek, that's why I think Marcus Rashford deserves that boot. 
I'd buy that as well, actually. I, I, I'm buying what you're selling, Carl. Well, I guess I've got no choice to agree then. <laughs> <laughs> I like you, Devang. I like yeah. you. <laughs> All right. So if that was United's worst player, uh, Carl, who would you say was United's best? Seeing so how I'm, you're on a roll right now. I'm, I'm going to... I don't know if this his name I've mentioned him. I think Aaron Wan Bissaka played really well today, considering everything. Yes, he had some. You can't even say it with a straight face. <laughs> yeah, you know it's it's very rare that the we mention his name in an attacking sense. I mean, defensively he's been solid. He keeps coming up with interceptions. He's known as the spider for a reason. I thought he had multiple interceptions. Yes, he had a couple where he got the play instead. And it led to dangerous free kicks. But I thought his attacking intent today and actually giving us an option down that right-hand side. If anything, most of United's dangerous plays actually did did come down that right-hand side, which is very rare. It's usually Luke Shaw that's progressing the ball forward. So for that reason and his defensive stability, I will give it to Aaron Wan-Bissaka. I'm interested to hear you guys, though. Devon, thoughts? Yeah, I'd say both fullbacks. AWB and Lucia, I thought, impressed uh, tough assignments, and and clearly Arsenal were gunning to stop them. Like the the game plan was to to try and limit them as much as possible, but they still got their looks. They still were influential. Like Luke Shaw, he got crazy stick, and I I know probably from the fan base, but as like footy fans, people love to rag on Luke Shaw, but I think he's he is what he get. He is exactly what you see, and that's not a bad thing. I don't think I, he's a serviceable guy. Yeah, I, I have no disagreements here. Juan Basaka was great, and especially the improvements in the attacking third. Just that willingness to cross the ball makes such a big difference. Carl, we've talked before about United just presenting multiple options. Even in this episode, we've touched on having options outside of Bruno to create. And so if Juan Basaka is just willing to engage himself on, on that side of the ball, it just gives United an additional threat. Looking at Arsenal's best player, and this is probably why I edge it to Juan Bissaka than Luke Shaw. Pepe, I thought, was just tremendous. If he can bring that consistency, the Vong, that you were saying, I think Arsenal can continue to look up on the season. Big time. I, I think he's my man of the match. Uh, my Arsenal friends seem to be agreeing with me, and we have not been super kind to Nicola Pepe either. I think this... This last few games has been super promising. Also, with the injuries that seem to have went down even during this game as well today, he's going to have to play a bunch. Um, so I, I I worry a bit about that, but uh, he's my man of the match. Again, I thought our fullbacks as well were, were salt. Cedric is, we've been, like, Cedric came over, he's linked with Kia Jorbachan, like, was this a legal transfer and who's lining whose pockets? Like, again, don't get me wrong, football is incredibly <laughs> seedy, but as a player... I, I guarantee you a ton of clubs would love to have someone like Cedric Suarez on their, their squad because he can play both fullback positions. He's smart. He can whip a mean ball in. He's tough. I think we saw that as well. So I, it's Pepe for me, but again, very impressed by Cedric. Yeah, for me, the candidates for, for man of the match would have been either Pepe or Emil Smith-Rowe. I, I love the way this guy plays. He keeps it so simple and he goes through a game where you don't notice him that much, but he keeps it moving. He keeps it ticking and he, he doesn't hold on to the ball too long and his through balls are on point. Man, he is so impressive for such yeah. a young kid. You guys asked what the difference was like when things were looking very, very bad. They didn't have, they didn't have a player like that or they were not playing ESR until that time. And, and that has been the change. Like the flow 
from from defense to offense is just way better when he's in the mix. And again, it's like you're relying on a 20 year old to do this. So the, the older guard acquisition is big. You got some minutes here uh, today, which didn't look out of place. Didn't really touch the ball, but to get him in is huge because. I'm almost secretly happy the FA Cup is no longer an issue because this squad is not deep either. And and the Europa League is something that I think they probably still want to try and win for Champions League reasons. So the depth for everyone is going to be super important because how many players will be left by the end of this? You know what? Lee Dixon made a fantastic point where he said that, you know, all these youngsters, you got the Sakas and you got ESR, they're playing really well. They're playing without fear. Right. And now one reason also for that is there's no crowds in the stadium. So if they make a mistake or they don't have a good game, there's nobody on their backs. This is the the biggest thing about playing out of the back as well. Like there, you would not see as many, you would not see more than half of these clubs doing it that often, right? I think that... The yeah, you ethos, don't feel that angst. Right? The ethos of Manchester City, I think they do it no matter what. But I not, not a lot of these clubs, I think, would keep doing that if there were people in the stands. It's a totally different game. I'm, I'm with you there. And of course... I generally like Lee Dixon, club legend, not a super big fan of his commentary. And I was on the uh, the DAZN broadcast. So I think I had Matt Holland, who I, I don't mind. I think he's okay. But uh, I'll agree with Lee Dixon there. Yeah. And you know what? A good point you make about uh, the angst as well, Vivek, because yeah, Arsenal's former manager, Unaya Emery, was a big proponent of playing out from the back. And fans were getting so frustrated with him because there were times when you just wanted to kick it forward because you were getting pressed, made a mistake, and conceding a goal from that. So that's definitely one element which is missing just because there are no crowds and you don't have that. So I'd love to see what happens with all these youngsters when, when fans come back into the stadium and they're playing an away game where it feels like a fan is breathing down your neck. It'd be interesting to see how, fa- how the players react to that. Now, Devon, one thing I do want to get your thoughts on before we finish up here, is getting away from the youngsters. I have never been of the opinion that Aubameyang and Lacazette can work well together. I feel like their best games always come when they're separated and they're backing each other up. Yeah. But I have struggled to see a future for them together. Where are you on their partnership? Obviously, Lacazette had that great moment in the 65th minute where he hits the crossbar on the free kick. And I thought he was involved well enough today. But again, no Obamayang. I feel like that just changes the dynamic. What are your thoughts on those two working together versus when they're just one of them on the pitch? I mean, it's, it's the conundrum, right? I, they've, they've tried Abba on the left a bunch. They try, I think Abba played on the left in the FA Cup final last year, and that worked out. Mm-hmm. But I agree. I, I think... Together, it doesn't really work with the way they currently play. They even Laka was used at 10, right? A bit again with no no cover yeah. for ESR and not really having many other options. So I think generally I agree. I wonder if they wanted to move on from Laka maybe sooner than later, but they've seen that A, he's he's a very good person to look up to, I think, if you're a young player and for what you can be or what you can get out of the game. Like Alexander Lacazette is got a ton of skill, but I think he works harder than most players. And he's not a national team player for France. And I think a lot of guys maybe would have internalized that and let them ruin him, ruin them a bit. But I think the way he came out of that, like you get a, a pro's pro and you can see the work rate, is, it, it rubs off on the other players. It did in, in the midweek game against Southampton. So he's such an important cog. And with Abba, he's dealing with family stuff um, now. But even since, since the season has started, I don't think he would he would agree that he would agree with us that he's not been good at all. And 
if it was my choice, even with Abouwood fit, I would have started Lacka today, uh, full stop against Manchester United. So I don't think they should play together. I think they do have better options on the wing outside of Alba with the youngsters. But there's so many games, they're going to need everyone. I think they're better off, though, using one or the other. Just to finish off here, since we couldn't get any goals in this one, uh, what is your favorite Manchester United Arsenal memory, Devang? It's, it's probably Martin Keown choking Rude Van Nistelrooy. I think that might be. <laughs> <laughs> um, I hated Rude Van Nistelrooy so much. I, ha- I mean, I hated a lot of those players, right? So I think the the animosity was real. The pizza story I laugh at all the time. I think it, when the, the rivalry kind of died a bit and after 8-2 and after RVP, I think we can all admit you Manchester United definitely had Arsenal's number and it wasn't really a rivalry. And then Ferguson left and the results kind of got back into it could go either way. And we're both kind of not in shambles, but in the, in the abyss a bit. The rivalries kind of come back to the fore where either, each game it could go either way. But there was a time there where every time we played Manchester United, Wayne Rooney is scoring two to three goals and we're getting embarrassed and it wasn't fun. So I think for me, it was definitely like that 0-3-0-4. I think the year you guys won the league, but we we got the double on you is always hilarious. Like 0-6-0-7, that was a hilarious time. So few and far between in recent times. I think the one thing that probably sucks about the United Arsenal rivalry post Wenger and Ferguson is the fact that we keep hyping it up, but the stakes are almost nil every time. And so right. I, we I'll, look forward to these games, but it, but it's just within the vacuum of the game itself. I, I said off the top, I wasn't super disappointed, but I think if my final comment, if Arsenal had won this game, I think the top four talk would have been little a little more legitimate for me so i that's where i'm disappointed because the stakes i think for manchester United, obviously you guys are chasing city like we all know that but from where arsenal was a few weeks ago to where they were today i mean a draw isn't the end of the world but another result and you really start the momentum building towards a, a pretty remarkable turnaround so I, I think a draw is disappointing all around fellas devang i think this was a really fun chat we were always going back and forth with tennis and yeah. I think we've actually done well today because you're a huge Roger Federer fan. I'm a huge Novak Djokovic fan. Uh, Carl is a huge Rafa Nadal fan. The goats. So. Right. The goats. <laughs> hey, it wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> we could add a full <laughs> podcast just talking about those three and making that our cases fun. That's been fun. It's not. It's not. You don't get to chat tennis with too many people here. So uh, I know Vivek and I also go back and forth quite a bit with the whole Nadal and Djokovic matches. So maybe yeah, we, if in, in during the off season we should we should get together and talk some tennis. <laughs> Sounds good, Devang. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, where can people find Open Era and a football podcast? Uh, wherever you download or listen to your podcast, we should be there at Open Era and at a football pod on Twitter. And I'm at Desai Devang on Twitter. If you want a whole lot of tennis and soccer tweets, I will be there. Awesome. Thanks so much, man. Take care. Cheers, guys. Carl, looking ahead to the next match, Tuesday, Feb 2nd against Southampton. The last time these two sides met, Cavani came on as a sub and inspired United to a 3-2 win, a pretty exciting one. What are your expectations this time around? Without, with Southampton, you know what you're usually getting. They play the 4-4-2. They play a high press, lots of energy, try to disrupt your rhythm. 
You got Romeo in the middle who has a lot of energy and is not afraid to be dirty if he needs to with his tactical fouling. So having said that, I think United at the back will probably go with, you know, De Gea, Wan-Bissaka, Bai, Maguire and Shaw. I would have said Lindelof, but it doesn't seem like these days he's capable of playing two games in quick succession with his back. When it comes to how we set up the rest of the team, I am really confused because if you're playing against a team that's playing 4-4-2, do you really need two defensive midfielders? I would say no. So I would have gone with one defensive midfielder. But then it comes to, do you pick Fred or do you pick Matic? Since Southampton do have a lot of size and they're extremely good at set pieces, I would go with Matic over Fred because he can defend those corners. We all know from the last game what happened with Ward-Prowse and his corner kicks on the on the spot. And uh, Southampton have some extremely tall center backs who can get on the end of these. I would go with a 4-1, 4-1 formation where you've got Matic playing the one defensive midfielder. And then in your four midfield, you're going to have Rashford on the left. You're going to have Greenwood on the right. And you're going to play Pogba and Bruno together. And you're going to play Cavani up top. That's what I would like to happen. Vivek, what are your thoughts? I'm definitely with you on the point about Matic. I think he's important to have, even outside of his size, his composure against a press will be really important to United. The way he's able to just hold the ball up, use his body until he's sure with the pass that he's making, that's a skill that Fred and Scott don't quite have. So... I think it's important to have him in the midfield and have that stabilizing presence so that United can counter and begin their attacks more efficiently. I would still lean towards playing Fred because I do still think there's an importance to having some level of pace. I do have respect for the first half Southampton had against United the last time these two sides met where they did go up 2-0 and Gineppo on Southampton's left side was creating all sorts of problems. I think United have to be wary of that. So not to be defensive-minded, but I think having that solidity, again, is important. So I would lean towards Matic and Fred, and I'm sticking with the 4-2-3-1, where now I would like to see Pogba in the 10 role. I don't think that's going to happen. I think Bruno will get another opportunity. He will be in the 10 role. I could see Rashford getting a breather. So Marshall comes on the left side. Greenwood comes in on the right. And then you've got Cavani up top. Okay, so a couple of differences. You've got Martial, both Fred and Matic in the team. I've got just Matic and I've got uh, Pogba and Bruno playing. Let's see what happens. Ole's got some choices to make. Definitely need the three points. We cannot afford to drop any more points at this stage. It's going to be an enthralling one, so I can't wait to see uh, United get back on track. We'll see how these picks play out, Carl. We haven't been doing too bad of late, just the one mistake on this last 11 and the one before that, if you remember. So I think we're on a bit of a roll, even if United aren't. But either way, we will be here to break it all down. A reminder, we are on Twitter and Instagram at Red Couch Banks. If you enjoy the show, Please subscribe and join us after every match. Reviews, ratings are all appreciated. On behalf of Carl, myself, and Devon for this episode, thank you for listening to Red Couch Makes.